After this, Jesus appeared once more to his disciples at Lake Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the one from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of Jesus were all together. Simon Peter said to the others, I'm going fishing. We will come with you, they told him. So they went out in a boat, but all that night they did not catch a thing. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's edge. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing! Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out. Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken his clothes off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples came to shore in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They were not very far from land, about a hundred yards away. When they stepped ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Come. And eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This then was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from death. After they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me?
Peter became sad because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. telling you the truth. When you were young, you used to get ready and go anywhere you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you up and take you where you don't want to go. In saying this, Jesus was indicating the way in which Peter would die and bring glory to God. Then Jesus said to him, Follow me. Peter turned round and saw behind him that other disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who had leaned close to Jesus at the meal and had asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about this man? I want him to live until I come. What is that to you? Follow me. So a report spread among the followers of Jesus that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He said, if I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? He is the disciple who spoke of these things, the one who also wrote them down. And we know that what he said is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. If they were all written down one by one, I suppose that the whole world could not hold the books that would be written. In our context here, Christ has risen from the dead and has begun to show himself alive to his disciples And he had appointed for them to go back to Galilee, according to Matthew, to meet him on a mountain. But prior to that meeting, they went fishing. This is where he had originally called them. And they fished all night, like had happened before, and had caught nothing. And Jesus appears on the shore. They didn't know it was Jesus. And he tells them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. Years earlier, he had done a similar thing, and they protested. But they did it, and they caught a bunch of fish. And John knew it was the Lord. In verse 7, he said, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and plunged in the sea and swam to shore ahead of the ship, which wasn't that far from land. And they caught 153 fish that uh, overloaded the net. There Jesus was on the shore, having already caught fish and made some bread. They were having like fish tacos. See, they're in the Bible. I love them. Peter bread and fish. Nothing like fish over a fire. Peter drug the fish up. They counted them as fishermen would do, 153 fish. And Jesus said, come and eat. None of them dared ask who it was because according to verse 19, they knew it was the Lord. And when they had eaten, he spoke to Simon Peter, a man who was named Simon. He was the son of a man named Jonah. He had named him Peter, but he calls him by his former name. 
Christ had named him Peter. He was going to be a rock. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, a couple chapters earlier, Christ was predicting his death and how they would be scattered. And Peter said, I'm never going to leave you. And Jesus said, man, before the rooster crows, you're going to have denied me three times. It happened as he predicted. None of the other disciples did that. They scattered, but none of them denied that they even knew the Lord except for Peter. So now Jesus is checking on his love level. Do you love me more than these? And he uses the word for love in the Greek language as more than one word for love. The word eros, which refers to sexual love. Phileo, which refers to brotherly love. And agape, which is the love of someone that loves you unconditionally, sacrificially, undying love. They're not going to quit loving you. It's, it's the ultimate form of love, agape or agape. So he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter responded, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word Peter used for love was the word phileo. You know that I'm fond of you. I guess he wasn't sure about the agape for the Lord because he had been humbled through his denial. Lord, I, you know, I love you like a brother kind of deal. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Now, in his original calling, when Christ called Peter to follow him originally, he said, I will make you fishers of men. You've been fishing for fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. That is what we call evangelism, bringing people who don't know the Lord to know the Lord. Here he is calling him to make disciples. It's not just enough to make converts, but they must become disciples. They must become the Lord's lamb, those who will follow Jesus as their great shepherd. If you phileo me or if you agape me, feed my lambs. Then he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me or do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Then Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah. What is he doing calling him by his full name, emphasizing who his dad is three times? I, he might be inferring a connection between Peter's unfaithfulness to him and the man his father was named after. Jonah. Remember the Old Testament prophet that ran from the will of God? Simon, son of Jonah. Here we are on the banks of the sea. Here's water. Making a parallel here. Really calling him for sure. Do you love me? And this time he says, do you phileo me? Do you have brotherly love for me? And Peter is grieved. And he says to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. As Greg shared last week, he really humbled himself. Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. So Jesus came down to his level. Do you, do you love me like you say you do, basically? Do you phileo me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. He said, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, verse 18, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, the book of John may be the last book written out of the 27 books of the 
New Testament, possibly. So Peter was already dead when this book was written. So in relating the story, John shares how the Lord predicted his death. And then he shared this. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. And, of course, this was John's words that he used to refer to himself. Because he he loved the Lord and believed the Lord really loved him and called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Peter looks at him and says, Lord, what about this man? You know, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to suffer for you. But what about John? You know, I got bad news, but what about him? This isn't fair. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 22, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Peter, it's really none of your business what I'm going to do with him. Verse 34, then John ends with these words. This is a disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Lord, we ask that your words would come alive to us today. Help us all to heed them and follow them and follow your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to declare to you today the truth that Jesus is Lord. Can we declare it together? He is Lord. He is captain. He is leader. He is ruler. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Jesus is Lord. Ultimately, everybody's going to recognize Jesus is Lord. Everyone. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. For many, it will be on what the Bible calls Judgment Day, when he returns. He promises return right there. We read it earlier. Philippians 2 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You've got two knees, they're both going to be bowing. Of those in heaven, that is, those who've gone on to be with the Lord, those on earth, that is, those who are alive, and those under the earth, that is, those who have not gone on to be with the Lord. Everybody's going to be resurrected to be judged, according to the Bible. Every knee is going to bow at his name. And every tongue, that means every language, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How do you say Jesus is Lord in Spanish? Jesus es el Señor. Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach. And in Swahili, Yesu is Lord. And Shona, Jesu is Lord. And Greek, Jesus is Lord. Every language is going to declare that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is Lord, and ultimately everybody's going to recognize that. But in our day and time, we live in the realm of grace and free choice. People can deny his lordship in their life and not enjoy the benefits of it. Benefiting or profiting from his lordship involves following him. We're not talking about just declaring Jesus as Lord but we're actually talking about recognizing him as Lord and endeavoring to allow his will to rule and reign in your life. We live in a world that is ruled by self. How's it working out for him? Just read the newspaper. If there's a God, 
How could there be so many problems in the world? The Bible says God has given the earth to man to do what he wills with it. Look at what we've got. The courts are overloaded with cases of people trying to duke out what's right from wrong. Our country is ruled by over 100,000 pages of laws. That's a whole lot more complication than about 1,200 pages. Jesus is Lord. But benefiting from that involves following him, seeking his leadership in our life. Jesus, at the very beginning of Simon, son of Jonah's calling, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, become fishers of men and then you'll follow me. No, follow me, that's first, and then I will make you. I will transform you from being a fisherman of fish to a fisherman of men. Following Jesus requires taking up our cross daily. If anyone desires to come after me, he said in Luke 9:23, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What is our cross? Our cross is God's will for our life. Christ's cross was a literal cross made of wood, we have a symbol of here, that he came on a mission to plant seeds that would grow his church, that would impact the world, and to take on the sins of mankind without sinning. And sin would cause wickedness of men to kill him. He allowed it to happen so he could rise from the dead to reveal his power to the world. That was his cross. Your cross and my cross is God's will for our lives, whatever it is. And it is a cross because his will is not my will. My will is this, his will is this, and there's a cross. Which one are we going to submit to? It's a daily walk. It's a daily surrender to him. And we live in a world that is counter to that. The hymn of the world is to the tune of amazing grace. You'll never hear it, and yet you hear it constantly. It goes like this. Me, 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 me. Have it your way. You deserve a break today. It's what I want. I'm the man. Be your own person. All these things appeal to the nature that we have within us that crosses the will of God. We must have it his way. Does humanity as a whole get it? No, they don't. Turn on the news. It won't be five minutes before you'll see chaos being reported. Following him involves taking up our cross daily. We're not talking a Sunday morning thing. We're talking a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and all day Saturday thing. Daily. Following Jesus may lead us to unique challenges. It may not always be easy. Look at what Peter had to hear predicted. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, some say that Peter was crucified, his hands stretched out like his Lord. And they tell us that when that happened, he said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. He wasn't happy when he heard these words, but I think these words are actually encouraging words for him. Because a few chapters earlier, before Christ died, the Lord had told him, Satan desired to sift him as wheat, and I prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail, and when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. He also told him before the rooster crows, you're going to have denied me three times. Here he tells him, Peter, a day is coming, and you're not going to wilt. You're not going to betray me. You're not going to turn coat and run. You're going to be that rock that I've named you, Petros. So following Jesus may lead to our death. More Christians are killed today for their faith. I'm talking about true Christians, not the hypocrite Christians. You can't, you, know, you can't throw away the good because there's bad. How many has money in their pocket? Do you know there's actually counterfeit money in the world? What are you doing with that money in your pocket? The false just adds value to the real. More Christians are being killed for their faith today than in history. You don't see it reported as much in the world because there's an anti-Christ attitude everywhere you go. It's just there. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. That first stanza there is verse 18. For verse 18 to take place, verse 19 had to take place. The condition for verse 18 to come to pass was obedience to verse 19. Follow me. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and you're going to be killed. Following Jesus may lead to unique challenges, and comparing ourselves with others will distract us. Peter, when he heard those words, turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Verse 21 Peter, looking at him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? He was distracted. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, till I come back. It's been over 2,000 years, he still hadn't come back. What is that to you? You follow me. Don't compare yourself to this guy. You follow me. Don't be distracted. The word distraction means anything that diverts our attention. You can be distracted and miss your turn if you're driving your car. You can be distracted and misbalance your checkbook. You can be distracted and not follow Jesus with your whole heart. And comparing ourselves to one another does a whole lot of distraction. Peter, you are called to follow me, and I'm going to lead you to fulfill my will. And John, of course, is called to follow me. And if it's my will that he never dies, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Peter, let me be Lord in this situation. I got this handled, boy. You know, in our culture, in America, there's a real preoccupation with fairness. 
We try to be fair. We expect our government to be fair. In reality, life is not fair. And God is not fair. That might offend you, but you won't find it in the scriptures where God says, I am fair. God is just, but sometimes justice is served far too slowly for our liking. If you want fairness, get an eternal perspective. The story is not over. There's a church in Australia that has made videos where they act out in skits the different parables of Jesus. You can find them at sermonspice.com. And they have Australian accents, and it's pretty interesting to, to see the different parables acted out. Their spin on the parables, the way they understand them, is in every parable there can be a perspective of something not being fair. The elder brother goes to the father. It's not fair that you throw a party for my prodigal, wasteful brother. The 99 sheep bleep, not fair, not fair, to the shepherd that leaves them and goes for the one. The hard ground, the stony ground, the thorny ground thinks it's not fair that the seed doesn't bear fruit in them when it does in the good ground. It's not fair that somebody works all day for a sum and then somebody else just works for an hour. Remember that parable? Works for an hour and gets the same sum. It's not fair. It's not fair. I think if we're going to be true disciples of the Lord Jesus, we have to surrender the idol of fairness and let the Lord pay that guy for an hour, even if we worked all day, not worry about things being fair. Comparisons will distract us with that kind of thing. The snaring of comparing. When you compare yourself to others, you'll be vulnerable to sin, to be distracted from following Jesus. You could get hit with envy. You ever been hit with envy? Man, when it hits you, that green-eyed monster fills you. Sometimes when you get Christmas letters, you've got to be on guard when you read that thing. And understand, they're just telling good things and not sharing the bad stuff. Who wants to read the bad stuff anyway? When you read those things, don't compare yourself. Be glad for them. Hallelujah, you have 14 cars. That's awesome. It can lead to inferiority or inferiority in reverse, pride. I'm just a loser. Taking your eyes totally off of Jesus can give you poor vision. You lose a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose. Your perceptions of the present become skewed, and of the past becomes to overtake the future. Don't ever compare yourself to someone else except Jesus and where you're at in following him. Competition. Some people compare themselves and get competitive. I used to have a friend. He's still alive. I don't know where he's at, but he pastored here in this town for a few years. He doesn't pastor here anymore. He was always comparing his church and tried to get me to do it. I wouldn't do it with other churches. He'd say things like, man, if our churches were in the Metroplex, we'd be over a thousand. I'm like, how can you say that? There's little churches in the Metroplex, too. <laughs> he even put numbers, inflated numbers for the size of his congregation on his website. Competition. When you compare yourself, you're going to get off track. You just will. Don't do it. Disobedience. 
you'll tell the Lord no. Maybe he's calling you to move to Alaska, and you just flat tell the Lord no. Why? Well, they're not moving there. Why should I? No. Comparing can lead to overspending. Happens all the time. My dress isn't as nice as her dress, so I'm going to get me a dress, girl. I know I'm already upside down in this car, but i got to have a car better than my neighbor's. And the advertising world takes advantage of this human weakness. What this is is wisdom for the world, not just for the church. They'll get you to compare. Our stakes are better than their stakes. Come spend your money here. Oh, you don't have money? Well, here's the American Diners card. 100% down, easy monthly payments. When you compare yourself, you lose your sense of priorities. What's more important? A few years ago, a member bought a house off the square, uh, Steve Joy, and moved into it and had kind of a housewarming event. And my wife and I were blessed to be invited to go. We're there enjoying ourselves, and my phone goes off. And it's a pastor who's in his 70s that I had never met. But he knew some people that I knew. And he told me that he had got my number and that I, he wanted to talk to me about moving to his city and taking his place of a church that he pastored like 37, for 37 years. I says, brother, you made my day. I'm flattered. This kind of thing doesn't happen for a non-denominational pastor. This is really flattery. Thank you so much. But no, I know God called me here. And man, Lord bless you. Uh, there's some good guys out there. I gave him a name of somebody and all that. And uh, he said, no, no, you don't understand. Everything is paid for. And it's a nice building. Our building is so big, it's the community civic center. We have our high school prom here if there's a convention in town they use our building it's really good i said well thank you our building's paid for as well we're very blessed and yeah but you don't understand we have access unlimited access to two learjets i have been all over the world preaching we never have to pass the offering plate everything is paid for we've got such an abundance well, thank you, man. That is awesome, man. You, God has blessed your ministry. That's great. No, 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 you don't understand. So, well, I know God called me here, but yeah, there's more. We have box seats at the World Series every year. <laughs> and we have a ski lodge in Aspen. Now, those last two things really didn't tempt me. If you all see me ski, you know I'm doing good to stay on my feet on a bunny slope. And I'm not really a sports fan. <laughs> that Learjet sounded kind of nice going all over the world. I thanked him but said no thank you and hung the phone up and just basked in the flattery for a little bit and then I let it go. Two months ago, my wife and I were invited to go to a conference where they fed us like kings with 500 pastors and leaders and they housed us in a hotel. And the conference took place at that very church. It was real nice. I mean, man. Woo. We enjoyed it. And we go back to our hotel. And I'm rattled. 
Not that I wanted to leave here and go there. I'm just rattled with this thought. Alan, you didn't even pray. You didn't even pray about it. You just turned up your nose to something really nice. So I was rattled, man, kind of battling in my mind. And my phone went off with a text from Witty Wynn, a man that ministered here in song on the last Sunday of last year. And this is the text. It came in at 1013. Hey, Brother Allen. He's a school teacher. (laughs) The Spirit told me to tell you that your church was not some building folks just built on some cow pasture north of Grand Barry. It was meant to change the lives of men and women. Don't forget that. Let me encourage you. Love. Guess what? I wasn't rattled anymore. That's what it's about. It's not about comparing church buildings. The enemy knew my weak spot. I love church buildings. I like them. I I like all of them in this city. I I haven't been in all of them, but I just love them. I just love that the purposes are, you know, I know it's not about buildings, it's about people. But I've been tempted to compare myself, and that's what was rattling me. Paul's ministry was unique. He didn't know he was writing the New Testament or half of it when he wrote his letters. He was just encouraging folks. And some people were putting him down and tempting him to to put them down too. Kind of like during campaigns, get those dirty ads about the other candidate. Tempting him to throw mud on others. And this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. It is never wise to compare yourself to somebody else. Because generally you'll compare your flaws to their strengths. Or your strengths to their flaws. You'll be prone to pride or inferiority or competition. But the bottom line I'm trying to make today is when we compare ourselves, we'll become distracted from following Jesus. Your calling is unique. And some of us are not walking in it because it's so unique. Nobody else is doing it, and you don't think God is the one calling you. Your calling is never contrary to scriptures. He's never going to call you to sin. We all have weaknesses. We all have things we're tempted by. And the Lord has battle plans for us to conquer those things, to strategies to prevent yielding to them. So his calling is not to yield to your weaknesses, but his calling is to follow him and do what he's called you to do. Jesus is Lord. Ultimately, everyone will recognize him as Lord, and benefiting from his lordship involves following him. Following him requires taking up our cross daily. Following Jesus may lead to unique challenges, maybe even death, and comparing ourselves with others will distract us from following him. And my final point today, it is important that we submit to his lordship now. Can we say now? None of us are promised tomorrow. Make Jesus Lord of your life now and begin to seek him and follow him.
How? I don't know. But I'm trying to follow him. Years ago, my ministry wasn't working. We were in another location, another city, another time. We were premature, way ahead of the call of God. Some of us run from God's call. Some of us run ahead of God's call. I was frustrated. And in a time in prayer, for the first time in my life, I became real honest with God and said, God, this preacher thing is something I wanted to do. My daddy did it. My grandfather did it. And I always wanted to do it. Maybe it's just something I wanted to do because I want to be like my dad. I don't know. But I want to do your will. What is your will? I did not hear an audible voice, but the words that burned in my heart were two words. Follow me. Follow me. And since that day in January of 87, I've been endeavoring to follow Jesus. And like Peter, there have been times I've gotten sidetracked, I've gotten distracted, I've gotten in rebellion, I've gotten into ahead of God. But like Peter, the Lord's there to draw us back to himself because he loves us with agape love. So how do we get started? Well, I found a great video that will get you going. This is a good starting point. Follow means to move behind in the same direction, to accept as a guide or leader. What does it look like to follow Jesus on an ordinary day? I believe that following Jesus involves prayer, asking for his leadership, the scriptures, rightly dividing them, and people. You're not going to follow Jesus and never be around people. Monasteries are not his will. Maybe for a season in your life. Jesus lived monastically for 40 days, and that was it for him. Maybe for a season in your life, but not for the rest of your life. Hermits are not following Jesus, ultimately. We do nobody any good. We further the kingdom of God. No good, but not being with people. So in verbs, it involves serving people in need, helping people with needs. And it involves doing everything we do in his name as his representative. Jesus is Lord. Is he yours? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for those who have never known you as their Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them as their Lord. May they see your hand protecting them, bringing them even to this day in their life of revelation. And Lord, I pray for those who know you are the Lord, but you're a convenient Lord to them. When things get hard or when they get tempted, they pursue other things. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would surrender to your Lordship today and always. And as a song that we sang earlier, Lord, we say, Spirit, lead me where our trust is without borders. 
Let us walk upon the waters wherever you would call us. Take us deeper and farther than we could ever wander. And may our faith be made stronger in your presence. Our Savior and Lord.